Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Gareth Coker for Ori and the Will of the Wisps. It's the sequel to 2015's Ori and the Blind Forest. Gareth wrote a giant score for this game, and it's fabulous. And we talk about several aspects of it. This is a really great, uh, nice, in-depth conversation about several tracks. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. We start off talking about the grand scope of the music that he wrote for Ori and the Will of the Wisps. This one was obviously much larger in scope, um, and you know, with, with it being a sequel, obviously there's benefits to, to working on a sequel. Largely, it means that the first game was successful, so you have more of a budget. Um, so, <laughs> so, so more of a budget just means more room to experiment and just do stuff that I hadn't really had an opportunity to do before. You mentioned, I mean, one thing where I can like talk about it almost immediately is the. The string slides in the in the spider area, Shadows of Moldwood. Um, you know, I've never really done a horror track before, but horror in the context of Ori is is not really. You know, it's not uh, it's not like hardcore aggressive horror. It's still got to kind of fit in the world. And I was like, well, what mm-hmm. would horror sound like in the Ori verse? <laughs> and I mean, I knew I was going to do something with strings, with it being a, a spider area. Um, but I was like, can we do something that's aleatoric but not dissonant? Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we ended up doing. Aleatoric means that you're leaving some elements, some to decide to the string players. They decide maybe what note to play their slide on or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, so what we did, um, we I actually recorded a bunch of string effects about two years before the game came out, and. Traditionally, when you write for strings, it's violin one, violin two, viola, cello, bass. Uh, but for these, we actually split the violins up into 10 different parts. Oh, wow. Um, and they're all doing something slightly, 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 slightly different, but it's all kind of like the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Just the same thing with just sort of like a minor variation um, for each for each part. Um, and then we put a microphone on each violin and... You'll hear, they're not like a prominent part of the the score, but like there's a lot of background textural string stuff. A good example is in the track uh, Ser, S-E-I-R. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear it right at the beginning and you'll just hear the strings like doing all kinds of stuff. That's actually not like the London strings. That's actually a group in Vienna that re- we recorded. But then, like, I was like, this is a really cool idea. And I was like, okay, well, now I can, like, take that and put it into the, the spider area. And let's let's see if we can go dark with this as well. And the, the, it's the combination of string slides, but also there's a bunch of other string texture work that is kind of just, like, constantly moving and shifting. And you never really know where the, the center of it is. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what I wanted to have in the, have in the level.
basically the flow of the the level is you enter the environment, then you've reached the spider, you fight the spider, and there's a boss track, and then after that is only the only time when the environment music changes because I was like this mood is so cool I don't know even know how I'm going to change to another track <laughs> um, so I was just like let's make a long loop I mean it's a, a five minute loop it, most games do not have loops longer than like three minutes right um, but it's like a five minute loop and I'm just like it's okay because it's not super in your face um, mm -hmm. and that's that is something I'm very very wary about like if I'm not changing the music for a long period of time, I play test it a lot to make sure that it's uh, it's listenable for a long period of time. Sure. Um, but yeah, that that Shadows of Moldwood track is definitely one of my favorites on the soundtrack, just because I've never had I've never had the opportunity to to do anything that dark or um, <laughs> horror based. Um, like the darkest game I've done is Darksiders, and it's not really a dark game. It's like it's 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 like action rather than uh, rather than horror. So yeah, so th that one was a really fun fun one to explore. One of the things you mentioned was about looping and, uh, you know, with a platformer especially, a, a gamer who's music savvy might expect to hear just loop, 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 loop. And that's one of yep. the amazing things to me about Ori is how cinematic it is, even even in its platforminess, right? So yep. talk to me about the freedom that that gives you. For me, the holy grail of game music is being able to have, you know, interactive music, but also retain melody. Um, and there aren't you. The, the the thing about melody is you you once you've if you have a long melody and, and this is melody versus not not uh, not light motif, and if you have a melody that's eight bars long, you just cannot interrupt it in bar four. Like right. you, you have like it it just sucks. And I'm yet to see. I've played a lot of games, and I'm yet to see uh, any fancy music implementation that solves that problem. Um, a lot of composers change the music. You can change the music frequently, but it means you have to break up your music into little four-bar segments, which mm -hmm. obviously removes removes melody. It still allows you to do motifs, but it's it's not different to like writing. A, it's a lot different to writing a sixteen-bar melody. Yeah. And I I guess with with Ori, um, because the game is is so much about the flow of movement and the and the platforming. Um, it's kind of reflected in the music as well, um, and and of course the animation. Um, everything is constant, and you're you're just darting around from one area to the next. And also in this game, we give you abilities a lot sooner than we did in the first game. In the first game, it takes you about you know it will take an inexperienced player about two hours to get double jump. In this, you you probably got it within like thirty minutes. Yeah. Um, so um, you just get a lot more earlier on. So your your movement is a lot quicker early on. Um, so I want to, you know, make sure that the music is is flowing, and to do that, I, I have found for the longest time, and actually for me, the best way to structure music is in pop song form, like applied in a classical setting. But the intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge chorus or however you want to end it yeah. is actually a very easy way to structure as uh, to structure 
orchestral music to make uh, for games and to also make it not repetitive um because if you have verse chorus and then you have a variation of verse chorus you've already got like four segments and that kind of takes care of depending on how long your segments are two to three minutes of music already um so and then you can you know then you have a bridge or an outro and then you've got like another minute and then you're like wow i'm at four minutes already um so i find that the sweet spot for a loop length uh in ori is pretty much anything over three minutes um Mm. after that it basically depends on how much i feel like writing but yeah you won't find you won't find any loops in ori that are shorter than three minutes um and most of them are about three minutes 40 seconds which is coincidentally the length of your average pop song um so i've been following that format not just in ori but like in a in a, in a lot of my music i mean most uh, most games do not require three minutes 40 seconds 40 second long loops but if it's a two-minute loop, um, you're usually getting a verse and a chorus and usually a variation of the chorus. It removes actually a bunch of problems because I find structure the hardest thing to do in music, and following that following that structure like gives me a framework to work within, mm-hmm. um, and not having to worry about that means I can just concentrate on writing music that flows well melodically, and having again having the verse and the chorus structure um, allows me to get in the headspace to write melodic music that also within that structure makes it not repetitive because there's space for the melody to disappear like if you if you listen to a lot of the tracks uh, on an analytical level you'll hear like the melody come in for 16 bars or eight bars and then it will just there will be no melody but there will be something else cool to listen to mm-hmm. like a new texture or a new sound or whatever um i think the longest melody actually is in the Quolox hollow with the bass clarinet i mean the bass clarinet oh, nice. kind of kind of dominates the 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 first track but it's there's still it does a phrase um, or it does like a melodic line and then it goes away for a little bit because the music goes somewhere else, but then it comes back. It's mm-hmm. not bass clarinet for three and a half minutes constantly. Um, though I'm sure the amazing player who played bass clarinet would have been quite happy to do a three and a half minute uh, <laughs> solo. I remember, like at, at the session, uh, you know, he, I, I look around um, at the beginning of the sessions as the players look through their parts to see if their eyebrows are raised or anything like that, to see if there's <laughs> any any fires I might need to put out. And I could just, I, I looked at the bass clarinet because because um, we had a basically a day which was woodwind focused, mm-hmm. and uh, I looked at him and he was like, I could tell he was surprised because uh, let's let's be honest, in a lot of film music, if you're turning up to do a, a film or game 
music, if you're turning up to do a recording session for woodwind uh, and you're a bass instrument, you are probably doubling the low strings for most of the most mm-hmm. of the recording, uh, and not do, certainly not doing anything this prominent. I could definitely tell he was surprised, and I'm like. <laughs> I I always wanted a, a low bass instrument for Quolock. Um I I looked at bassoon. My my lack of fondness for bassoon is well known at this point. Uh, I, I'm not just not by a fan. Me. Uh, oh, okay. Well, it's, uh, it's, no, it's known by. I'm a fan of contra bassoon, but like the bassoon, the bassoon itself, or well, the bass clarinet can do everything the bassoon does um, mm-hmm. at a lower octave better. Um, and then when you get into the high octave, I just think, well, why not just use the English horn? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's just that's just me. Um, but also the bass clarinet, it, it, the the bass tones, because um, we use the second lowest note for the first. The first note of Corlock's melody is the second lowest note achievable on bass clarinet. Love it. And and uh, I was like, when I, when I heard that for the first time, I was like, wow, that is just like such a deep, rich tone. like I'm so glad I chose this because it also kind of automatically makes the area stand out Um, just by using one solo instrument that is not really uh, ever a featured instrument you know there's not like a massive bass clarinet concertos out there Um, so um, it's just not an instrument we hear very often Um, and I was like well well that's kind of done the hardest thing was was getting it past moon because sampled bass clarinet is terrible there oh. there there are no good sign i'm just like you guys have to trust me we're gonna have an yep. amazing player it's going to sound great trust me with this melody but, but i i did my best to make it sound good with the samples and i am pretty good with the technology <laughs> side of things and i was just like there's nothing um, so <laughs> i was just like i'm gonna have to I'm, i was just gonna have to ask these guys to trust me fortunately they do uh and mm-hmm. uh yeah the quillox hollow and um and it's like kind of follow up in the environment dashing and bashing, which also uses bass clarinet. bass clarinet player he he really just nailed it um and kind of what you're hearing on the soundtrack is most of the time it's take two or three um and they're obviously sight reading yeah so tell me more about the recording sessions and the players you said the london and strings played uh so if we'd been able to on ori one i probably i probably would have recorded in london as well but london's expensive yep. um and they're really good um so they're expensive for a reason um but uh, yeah, we recorded at Air Lindhurst, which is has been a bucket list studio for me. I've never recorded mm. there, um, but it's uh, it's an amazing studio. All the Bond films have been recorded there. Uh, Inception was recorded there. Interstellar, uh, a bunch of Harry Potter films. Like the the list is just endless. Yeah. Um, it's a giant, giant, giant church uh, with a massive reverb. There, there is not a more perfect studio to record uh, an Ori game 
the orchestra we hired was was actually the same one I used for for Ark. Um, oh. It was the Philharmonia Orchestra. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to rekindle that relationship. And I remember when I when I introduced myself, like they were like, "Oh, it's the dinosaur guy," uh, and I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, I was like, this is a bit this is a bit different this time, um, and this is kind of like what this is kind of like more my more what I'm normally doing." Yeah, the lineup um, was pretty luxurious. We had 50 strings for pretty much the entire set. Wow. The benefit of 50 is uh, on a couple of cues, I would occasionally just cut them in half. I would just say literally half of you don't play, and then you automatically kind of have the chamber strings sound, um, which makes things more intimate. I didn't actually use it that much because... I think I just like the sound of 50, to be honest. Um, so then we had um, double double woodwind for... So two flutes, two oboes, two clarinets, um, but oboe would sometimes double on English horn or clarinet mm-hmm. would sometimes double on bass clarinet. Um, the brass, we, we there is obviously... Ori isn't a brass-heavy game, but we did yeah. have um, a brass section uh, for the obviously the boss fights and the big, the big cut scenes. Uh, that was just a standard brass section, three... Three trumpets, four horns, uh, three trombones, and a tuba. Tuba is the one instrument I wish I'd had on uh, Blind Forest because um, it just uh. it just like rounds out everything in the bass. Um, yep. uh, and then harp and piano. Um, one of the mm-hmm. biggest additions uh, was adding live choir uh, yes. this time around, which you definitely feel in uh, the big cutscenes in, yes. in the game, which is where I kind of unleash them the most. So, so the first time I heard Ori music with a live choir was actually in uh, a live concert uh, which uh, uh, of an arrangement of the Ori music, which I didn't do. It was David Peacock, who ended up, okay. who actually ended up orchestrating on Ori 2 based on his cover work that he'd done on Ori 1. Wow. That's actually literally why I hired him. Uh, oh, he actually wow. works for me quite a lot now. Yeah, I heard live choir and I was like, oh man, I've got to find a way to to get live choir on Ori 2. And I'm so glad I did, especially in the ending. There's one cue in the ending. It's not track 60, it's track 59, uh, A Stirring of Memories. Originally, I had choir and orchestra doing kind of the, the same thing. And they, they kind of cancelled each other out. And I'm like, what if I just... I recorded the orchestra, but I'm like, what if I just muted the orchestra? <laughs> And and yeah. it and it basically fixed everything. I was like, wow, just having the choir by itself uh, made it like a hundred times more powerful. It's 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 funny. Sometimes it's sometimes it's a case of addition by subtraction. It's not that the orchestra played badly. It was just right. really an, an arrangement thing. And I was like, actually, no, we just need to hear the choir here. They were 
were a tremendous addition. It was 20 singers, but we were able to record them twice, so it felt like 40. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, really happy with the the addition of choir. Um, mm-hmm. And then the the actual sessions themselves, uh, we had four days in December, because as you've probably noticed, it's a large score. Um, yeah. And uh, and then one extra day in January where we recorded like the cutscenes and like the final the final boss fight. Um, so like organizationally it was uh easily the the biggest challenge of my career because while while i'm prepping for the december session and getting you know david peacock and eric burkholz are doing the bulk of the orchestration i'm still writing because we've got another session in january and it, like I, there was no christmas um <laughs> so yeah because i just kind of had to to keep going uh, mm-hmm. i mean there was no christmas for the for the entire team but uh, it was definitely definitely worth the the hard yards um because yeah. the the end result is um uh in my opinion a really good sounding recording I know there are, and I could list many, there are some wonderful game scores out there uh, written by composers that aren't gamers. And uh, somehow they managed to to do a a bang-up job still. Now, I know that you are uh, quite a serious gamer. You're like the real deal. So how do you think that helps you, especially in a game like Ori, which has a lot of challenges to it? Um, how, How does that help you make a good score? I think the the main thing about Ori is uh, the whole game is handcrafted. Like there's no you know there's no there's no AI generating missions, which is quite which is actually quite common in game dev right now, especially the big open world uh, games. Like a lot of them, a lot of the 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 missions and stuff are kind of generated by by a computer. Um, like you just input the parameters and it creates a quest for you, uh, which is great. Like um, but Ori. It, it it is a big world but like all of the content is handcrafted um and i think the biggest benefit for me um when i'm writing is just knowing where to change the music because i mentioned flow earlier yeah if you change it in the wrong place you're disrupting the flow and one you know one of my big things in Ori is not having combat music for every time you're in combat because you're in and out of combat so quickly. And it would just be, it would actually be less immersive to have combat music every time you fight like one or two monsters. Um, And it's something I've maintained from the first game. You only have combat music in Ori when you have to kill something to progress. Um, Every other time I'm just like... I don't care if there's ten monsters on the screen; there will still not be there will still not be combat music unless you have to kill something to 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 progress. Okay. Um, because also, uh, and I think this is easily forgotten. This uh, I've run into this with other developers too. They were like, "Yeah, we need three different kinds of combat music." And I'm like, "Do you really?" And I'm like, "You guys realize the sound effects communicate." that you are in combat as well. It's Mm -hmm. enough. Um, And it's okay to keep the ambient music going because you'll be out of combat in like 15 seconds. So why have combat music at all when the the sound effects do a great job of communicating it? Plus, if you stay quiet in the music, 
for for the the lighter combat stuff um it actually gives the sound effects more room to be heard right um, and it makes it makes mixing the game easier now that that's just like one aspect i think the other aspect is and and i really went quite granular on it this time it's one of the main reasons the soundtrack is longer is because i'm changing the music more frequently and i'm not doing it in a cheap way it's it's new recordings yeah um there's I'll I'll use a scene in the watermill section of the game. There's a there's a puzzle room in the the watermill. Um, it's it's basically just a platforming gauntlet, and you, all you have to do is reach the lever. Um, but to do that, you have to perform all kinds of jumps and maneuvers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Each time you pull the lever, the room rotates ninety degrees. Um, and then you have to do another gauntlet of platforming in the same environment. It's just shifted 90 degrees. It's kind of trippy. And all I do in the music is it's just a variation of the same piece of music um, with a slightly more complex arrangement. Maybe one or two more instruments have been added. But it's also increased in tempo and it's also increased in pitch. And it's not just like the cheap, I took the audio file and ran it through a plugin and 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 pitched it up and, and increased the tempo. No, we actually did a separate recording of like a one minute track. Uh, and if you speed through it, you might only hear like 20 seconds of it. But <laughs> probably the first time through, you're, you're, you're going to hear all of it. So as a result, there's, there's this one room in the game which actually has uh, four pieces of music that you will hear at some point while you are going through it. And it could I have done it with one with one loop? Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, but it just seemed like such a simple opportunity to go into detail a little bit more. And it actually didn't really cost me that much other than recording time to get another track recorded. Sure. Because um, I really was just like, not copying and pasting, but but maybe almost copying and pasting like the bass track and then just uh, you know adding a counter melody or adding a bit more texture to it. like kept on looking for ways where I could change the music in an elegant way because each time you pull the lever there's a massive sound effect and the room is rotating so it's kind of got this grinding gear sound sure and I'm like well that's a natural transition anyway <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm always looking I, I call I just call them switches there's not really a technical term for them um, but it's, you know it's like when you turn a light switch on and off um, a, another obvious place to, to change music, and I did do this in the first game, just not enough, is whenever you get a new ability, you have this big like musical stinger that plays, and you've got the music that is before that before you get that ability, mm -hmm. and then you've got music that uh, is slightly different that comes after you get that ability. The, the very first ability you get in the game is the sword, um, and the track that plays uh, on the soundtrack is Separated by the Storm.
it's quite a sad melody um, that plays, uh, you know, through, throughout the uh, initial environment of the game. And then eventually you get to the ability tree where you get the sword, and the music that plays after you get the sword is that same same sad melody that you hear at the beginning, um, but it has a much peppier accompaniment because you've got a friggin' sword, and and <laughs> and, and, and and the non-playable characters in the game, the, the Moki, they're literally telling you to use it. Show us the light. Like, that is literally a line from the game. Yeah. Um, show us the light we want to see. Um, so it's a subtle way of encouraging the player to, like, move forward and use the sword um and i'm constantly looking for those little switches where i can change the music which which helps the player feel like they're making progress um because it no it's not that it would be bad to be stuck on one loop in the game but it always feels much better to play a game where the the music is just subtly evolving according to your actions the key in a game like Ori, and this is where playing it comes into uh, really, really comes into play, is there's only certain places where those switches can happen gracefully, um, mm. and you just, you just, you, you have to, you kind of have to learn the game inside out to learn the best places to for those switches to happen. I mean, how specific then are you to the audio director or whomever you're in communication with when you finish that track? Are you giving very, I would imagine you give then very specific timings and say, this is exactly when you should put this in to, to trigger. So yeah, we, uh, I had uh, Guy Whitmore implementing all of the oh, music. Um, I love yeah. that man. He's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a genius. Uh, he, is, he, he is a genius. He's kind of the implementation <laughs> god. Uh, like, so he did a lot of the uh, ambiences in the, in the game, uh, but he was also responsible for literally all music implementation. Wow. Um, but uh, he would be dependent on me to explain it clearly because obviously he's not in my head. And I would write a PDF of exactly what I wanted to happen, uh, but I would also record a video uh, of me playing that section of the game and I would just overlay the music with captions in the video to show him exactly how I wanted things to be played back. Wow. Um, so he'd have a text reference and also a visual and oral reference. Um, so, um, it you know, it takes... It takes a little bit of time for me to do that, but I would rather it be because I'm not doing it myself because I don't have the the technical knowledge to do that. And, and mm -hmm. frankly, and Moon Studios told me this, they were like, we would rather you spend more time composing than yeah. uh, getting lost in the technical side of things, which I appreciate. Yeah. Not every game composer is like that. Yeah. Um, but the great thing about Guy is he's also a composer, uh, a very, yep. very good composer. <laughs> yes. And so he um, he kind of gets what I'm trying to do uh, and 
it was just cool to work with someone who who is enthusiastic about implementation. I'm enthusiastic about implementation, just not the nitty gritty of the actual code and the the actual <laughs> like getting in there. Yeah. But I but I am like enthusiastic about like how my music plays plays back um, because that is something that is that is super important. Because like you can have the best music in the world, but if it doesn't play back properly, what's the point? Exactly. Um, yeah, just having um, guy implement it, and sometimes he would come up with his own ideas or. Or suggestions, um, and uh, yeah, one, I remember one of the things that we we did late, quite late on. Actually, there are a few places in the game which I would call dead zones. Okay. They're like they're like just transitional areas where you're going from one key environment to another, like crossroads, or just like where where it's just it's just kind of a nice environment, but there's nothing in particular happening. And I was like, we can't have silence here because there's no. The musical DNA of Ori means just it means that you know silence is just not a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, it would actually be a very interesting game to play with no music, um, <laughs> but it would be a very very different experience. Um, and, and it's funny, like anytime I tried to like get no music by the team, they were like, "Nah, we need something." Mm. So we came up with these. We were like, "We need something, but it can't be prominent." And we just came up with these like super simple tonal ambiences. Um, it's it's just a very simple pad, and I'm like, wow, like, and we came up with this in like February, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd come up with this sooner. Um, but fortunately, it was because they were just transitional areas. The areas just weren't big enough to like have a, a big, you know, presentation of envi- new environment music. Uh, but they weren't small enough to where it's just like, oh, we could have silence here. So we really like um, just having Guy there make that suggestion. It's like, well, what if we just had something super, super simple and super quiet? Because then, uh, then he, because so the benefit of that is he could play up his uh, ambient work, um, so we can hear more of the forest sounds or more of the background creature sounds, mm-hmm. but still have like a music, a very soft musical bed there that helps still keep the Ori DNA uh, glued, glued together. I feel very, very, very lucky to have been able to work with Guy. Uh, I can say right now that the the music playback would uh, not be what it is with, without him. Uh, and considering just ha- so, so on the soundtrack there are sixty tracks, but you have to remember that those have been edited together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if, if we take a, a boss cue, uh, more of the spider is actually five cues merged into one on the soundtrack. So it gives you kind of an idea of just exactly how many files Guy was dealing with. Um, you know, we're in the hundreds of cues. Yeah. Um, and because he's not writing the music, it's like, I guess, yay me for doing a good job communicating. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm still impressed given the amount of content he had to manage and keep keep track of. Um, and in a, in a game like Ori, which is a Metroidvania, and things can happen at different times. Like getting the the logic set up to make sure that the right music plays back correctly. It's something that gamers take for granted. But oh my god, the amount of things that can go wrong. Yeah. Um, I'll just give one example. Like quite early on, um, we were doing the spider boss, like the the prototype music, and 
we put it in game and then for some reason it hadn't been hooked up correctly just because you know the tech was still in its infancy and instead of the spider boss music playing we had music from the prologue (laughs) and i was like how does that even happen yeah like like that literally the happiest music in the game probably (laughs) is playing back while the spider is trying to trying to take you out and and i'm just like that's that's you know we so we we literally came from that point uh to where to where we're at now which thankfully obviously it's playing back properly so many things that can go wrong in a game I I don't think gamers realise quite like how much smoke and mirrors goes on in in gaming like even in what seems like the most polished games Mm -hmm. um, there's you're just kind of like hoping it, hoping it, it stays uh, held together with the with the duct tape and and glue (laughs) exactly I mean when I saw the size of the soundtrack album that it's more <laughs> yeah. than three hours long. I mean, I've, yep. I've been talking to fellas like you enough to know that that means you wrote so much more than that. And I, yep. I just, I mean, I just can't even imagine the scope of, uh, of what went on here. So, I mean, I know that Ori one came out ages ago now, it seems, especially yep. given our cir- circumstances now, everything yep. <laughs> seems like a decade ago, but, uh, but how much? When did you start working on Ori Ori Two? I'd, I'd say, um, yeah. One one of the benefits of having whatever being a sequel is that a lot of themes were established. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I worked on the trailer in in twenty seventeen, which wow, that does seem like a lifetime ago. Uh, yeah. that, and that was obviously the first thing I wrote. But really, okay. that trailer was just a recycling of themes from the from the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say I started working on it seriously uh, until uh, probably three to four months before E3 2018. So let's just say January 2018, because okay. that was the first time we had like playable content. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the desert playable E3 2018. And I would say, yeah, pr- from January 2018 to January 2019, working on it on a part-time basis and then... Um, we the the game really started to come together in about January February of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, like we started to know what we had, um, yeah. and then and then obviously it's just like a race against time to to get all of the the artwork in because it, the thing about a Metroidvania is all of the departments are so dependent on each other. Um, you know, a, a game. A, a, a level can feel good without any of the artwork in, but when you put the art in, it can change the pacing because you you want the player to have time to look at all the beautiful stuff. Yeah. But if there's too many things to do, uh, that doesn't feel as good. Like we 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 went through a we went through a phase where I can honestly say the game was quite crammed. Um, mm. It was all really good, but there was no time to there was no time to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and we're just like. Uh, we just need more space. Can we like extend this corridor here? Um, and of course, because that means a redesign of the area, it also means the art has to change, uh, and that obviously affects mu- that can affect music pacing as well because it yeah. means trigger points change. So it's like everything is it's like this uh, complex house of cards, and if you move one thing, you kind of have to rebuild it.
scope and size of the game never really phased me. Like the amount of music that needs to get written, ultimately it's actually me that decides it. Like, if mm -hmm. I, you know, I've, I'm the one that's really responsible for writing <laughs> yeah. so much of the stuff. You know, did I have to write a five minute loop for, sh uh, for Shadows of Moldwood? Probably not, probably could have done three. Um, but I just I just always did what I felt was, was right. Um, and I never got any pushback from the team. So I figured I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm doing the right thing. Um, you know, the, the, the cut scenes and stuff, they're always like finite. They, they don't change in length. Um, and the, the environment music is just fun to write because the, the, they're all so different. Um, uh, I mean, that was one of the things I was like, man, how are we going to, you know, we had such varied environments in Ori 1. Are we really going to be able to do that again in Ori 2? And somehow we did. Um, like, that's really testament to the amazing job that the art team did. Um, and, uh, yeah, particularly in Act 2 of the game, which you, you get the spider area, then you get the luma pools, um, which are, like, two of the most opposite areas you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. The luma pools is this bright and happy area, and the spider area is just complete darkness. And then you have Bowers Reach, which is the winter area, and then you have uh, the windswept waste, which is the desert area. You have, like, four completely different-looking uh, and sounding areas, and it's, it, it's just a fun... There is not a composer in the world who wouldn't want to score this game just because it is a giant playground um, to, to kind of like really test like your range. Yes, I have the the nice orchestra and the, the choir and everything, but it's like all the areas still they they still have to sound different, even though they're part of the same game. And um, it it was both a fun challenge um, to do that, but also uh, just really satisfying to explore um, all of these different visual looks with with music. some of your personal favorite tracks oh my gosh here we, here we go the, the the choosing of the children uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. so <laughs> i'm honestly most proud of the last three tracks on it's actually maybe not even the last three tracks i'm kind of proud of the entire ending of the game because i think uh i think we nailed the ending so track 50 56 through 60 from the spirit willow to or embracing the light you could actually and actually the way it's presented in game you could actually stitch all of those together uh and make it one piece of continuous music and that nice. is largely how it is in the game like the spirit willow transitions seamlessly into shriek and ori which is the final boss fight that's not really a spoiler and then uh remaining darkness a stirring of memories and ori embracing the light that is the epilogue of the game and they're all continuous and mm. yeah if 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 we were ever to do a, a concert I, that's literally how i would close the show it'd be like tracks 56 to 60 and it could be <laughs> it, it would work continuously.
and that is what I'm most proud of. Um, it's 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 been funny um, looking at reactions to, to Ori 2 because I think a lot of people had preconceptions about what the game would be based mm -hmm. on their experience of the first game. The first game is, uh, I would describe it as naive and charming. Um, and I think that also reflects where I was at as a composer, naive mm. and charming. That's, uh, <laughs> um, but, also where the, but also where the studio was at too. It's, it was yeah. a young studio, an inexperienced studio, um, but, but you know, clearly with great ability. Uh, and this game is, is definitely, the, 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 the Ori's grown up, the studio's grown up, and uh, I've grown up uh, as a composer. I mean, I would not write the score that I wrote for Orium the Blind Forest now in 2020 because I'm a different person, and yeah. I think the studio the studio is different too. With the ending, all I'll say is that people have been talking about our ending, and that's something that I find very cool. Um, and there are people that didn't like it, and there are people that absolutely loved it, um, because I don't think we didn't go the uh, we didn't go the easy route. Um, okay. And even though there were expectations from you know from from the public, I'm kind of proud of like how the studio stuck to their guns. Uh, and it's the same it's the same in the music. I think I think like. Uh, I wanted to make the, the, the score is definitely darker than the first one because um, yes. the, the game is the game is a little darker in tone overall, but it's also reflects the fact that Ori's grown up. If we if we take the chase music, the chase music in this game is way more confident than it was in the first game. Whereas in the <laughs> first game, it's like, oh my god, I'm doing this crazy chase and I'm still a child, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my approach to the chase music in this one was more like, well. It's kind of old hat for Ori. Like Ori already did like three of these damn things in the first game. <laughs> it's almost like a here we go again vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. And Ori kind of knows how to handle these situations. boss fights in comparison anytime there's a giant monster or he's not experienced that before other than other than with kuro from the first game so that's that's where i, uh, I had room to like dial up the the the, the darkness and terror mm -hmm. um but i the whole score is really more about you know ori growing up and it's it's you know it's a richer sound it's a more expansive palette uh and it's i think it's just uh a little bit less naive in the the writing in general. Um, to get back to your question, though, the fa the favorite track is literally the last one uh, because uh, for purely for story reasons, um, I was able to reference one, two, three, uh, actually almost all of the themes uh, wow. from the first game and the main one in the second one, and actually. Um, in the previous one too, like there's there's a lot of references to Blind Forest, and I was able to to tie it together. I think the. 
The coolest thing about the ending for me is that it's it's really version one. <laughs> like, <laughs> I saw the the ending of the game and I was like, wow, this is this is actually awesome. I hope we don't change it. Um, and we actually we didn't change it. We changed a lot of things in the game, but the ending is not one of them. No. Um, and uh, yeah, the music is largely version one um, because I saw the ending and I was just like. I know what to do. Most of it's already written because uh, a lot of it ties back into the first game for, for story reasons. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that actually makes my life easier because that a lot of that music is written. It's just more like... It was more like it's it's just like finishing the jigsaw puzzle, and you can kind of there's only like eight pieces left, and I was like, oh my god, the solution's so obvious. Um, <laughs> all all I had to do was just make sure I you know don't break the pieces when I put them in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, the the so that track, um, yeah, Ori embracing the light. and bone is it's not something i thought i would like um because it's, it's 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 another dark track um it plays in the silent woodlands and uh in that sequence you've just mini spoiler you've just been you've just found coup um basically okay. act one is you're searching for coup because yes. uh, you get separated at the end of the prologue uh, anyway you just found coup but shriek uh, the antagonist is stalking you through uh through the silent woodlands um and in this cue i'm able to combine ori's theme on piano uh coup's theme and high strings and uh shriek's theme in low strings Any opportunity where you can combine three character themes uh, it doesn't happen very often in a, in a platforming game because you're really playing as one character for most mm -hmm, of it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just a fun. It's one I didn't think I would like, but I heard, when, when we heard when I heard it recorded, I was like, man, this really came to life in a way I didn't expect. Interesting. Um, you've obviously referenced the bass clarinet in Quelox Hollow. I, I'm yeah. always going to be fond of that track just because it sounds different to anything yeah. else on the soundtrack. Boss fight tracks are all fun. Um, my a lot of people like more of the spider. I get it, but it's not my favorite. My favorite is actually Quolox Malaise, which is obviously Quolox boss fight, um, and uh, it's mainly because I got to take that bass clarinet melody and kind of flip it on its head.
Yeah, Kolok's malaise is just really like a big epic version of that same melody. You just hear it in the high strings this time, a bass clarinet. Bass clarinet has to resort to its normal role of uh, <laughs> of being aggressive uh, in the in the low end of the orchestra in that track. Um, but uh, yeah, Kolok's malaise was 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 definitely a fun one to write uh, and record. will single out actually is um, the ancient wellspring um, that plays uh, in the exterior of the the, the wellspring area and uh, I want to call out Kristen Nagus on that one because she, oh, yeah. she played this thing called a crystal flute and I was like what is a crystal flute it's just another one of your toys and she's like well just let me play it and uh, you can tell me if you like it and I was like oh man it's 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 got that breathy quality but it's also for some reason it's more ethereal and just perfect for this track and mm -hmm. uh, it's another giant tree um, but it's it's it, it has a library inside and it's it's there's like a there's a bunch of lore inside the ancient wellspring uh, that makes it even more uh, magical and mystical than perhaps other trees in the game. Yeah, just having the um, having the crystal flute, I was just like, man, that's. Uh, huh. she, I mean, Kristen's a secret weapon. Well, she's, yeah. she's not so she's not so secret anymore because right. she's playing on literally everything. But uh, she's a weapon. Let's just let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, Did and, she play uh, yeah, the just, tin whistle? Who played the tin whistle? Uh, yep, she played. She pl okay. pretty much every woodwind instrument that is featured is her. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's yeah, lovely. She played. Um, she played twenty one instruments on this soundtrack. I mean, she, first of all, she never sleeps. Um, so you can contact her at like one in the morning. She's like, yeah, I'll play that right now. And I'm like, okay, oh, geez, uh, wow. don't let me take advantage of that. Um, but uh, um, yeah, she the first thing she recorded... Um, was was English was English horn on the game, nice. um, but then yeah, it gradually it gradually evolved into this um, you know you know massive opus where she where she she's on I think in some shape or form she's on like about thirty of the tracks. Um, so because the, there's a few woodwind like textural things or, yeah. or like little fills or little flourishes that she also um, does, and she's actually on a lot of the stingers in the game. Like if you get a pickup, you'll hear a little woodwind flurry. Um, that's that's all her. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she uh, yeah she did a tremendous job on Ancient Wellspring, and um, yeah, her other big feature is Separated by the Storm and uh, and In Wonderment of, of Winter. Um, mm, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, she I mean she's all over the soundtrack. And of course, you brought Airly back. 
yes had to had to bring Aerly back yeah um even though even though like she's representative of ori's uh i think more uh, naive like childhood mm-hmm. um but i did it's it's not ori if if Aerly's not singing in the like yeah. literally the first thing you hear in the game One of the things I'm really like happy about is um, how we get for this might seem like an odd thing to get be happy about, but like how we transition from the main menu into the game. Uh, it's just a completely seamless transition, and uh, we don't even change the music from the main menu into the first scene. It's just oh, wow. literally continuous. Um, it's a very very elegant thing. Well, it's partly because you know, in, in the first game, it's like a giant storm happens, so you kind of have a natural transition. Yeah. Uh, but in this, you literally press start, and the menu fades away, and the game you're you're playing. <laughs> like so, so there's no like Ori's basically looking at its sunset, and it's his home, and that's the main menu image. Um, and then it's and then it's also the first gameplay image. So I was like, what would happen if we just kept the main menu theme going? And it totally works. And I was like, man, it's one less piece of music I have to write. Yeah. <laughs> now I only have to write 200 minutes of music instead of 202. Yeah. Now I only have um, 59 more tracks to write. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, that was that was a nice solution. And yeah, it was one thing that we couldn't really do in the first game Um is uh, you, you you start the game and if you if you press start really quickly you only hear like ten seconds of the main theme, um, which is kind of a shame really because um, it's the friggin' main theme of the game. Um, but it's this time, uh, even if you speed run it as quickly as you possibly can, uh, you will hear a full version of the main theme, all sixteen bars of it, rather than it just cutting out. Um, nice. So um, that was that was kind of nice to nice to be able to have. Um, and then her big moment is uh, in Ku's first flight, which is obviously self-explanatory in the title. What yeah. happens in that cue? fun one to write too because um it's uh, it's such a joyous moment but yes. also it's uh but also it's um i think a lot of people connect to, with that scene in a different way because i think you know a lot of people might know someone who who has a disability and is able to overcome it who has a broken wing at the beginning of the prologue and Ori and Gumo help Ku fix it. So it's really a family helping someone to overcome their disability. Yeah. Um, and I think some people will just simply experience, you know, oh, it's the joy of flying, but actually some people will experience the elation of overcoming difficulty. So I think so, some people get more attached to Ku in that moment than others. But, um, but 
yeah, the moment when Ku uh, bursts through the clouds and Ori is riding on top of Ku, um, yeah, I was like, that's the moment we need. It's like literally all airily. Um, and I was like, that's uh, that's totally going to work. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that, uh, the prologue, <laughs> it's funny, on the on, on Blind Forest, we wrapped the prologue like almost a year before the game came out. Oh, wow. Um, yes, the prologue on this, um, I wrote, the final version of the coup's first flight uh, a day before getting on the plane to uh, go and record it. Um, wow. So in January. Um, so yeah, that's another one that literally did not exist three months ago. Uh, wow. There'd been, well, the flight scene, it was so important in the prologue and and we'd struggled with the pacing for it for a long time. I and mean, this is one of the great things about Moon Studios. We don't just do a cut scene and then finish it. Like it just, go, it goes back and forth and it, it, it can be a lot of work. Um, but I look at the flight scene now and I'm like, man, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, <laughs> like, I'm glad we, we went through, you know, scenes got cut, scenes got cut and then brought back. And obviously it's the friggin' flight scene. Every time they make a change, it like completely affects the pacing of the music. And I I'd, like the amount of times I'd have to rewrite. I'm just like, guys, can you just make all the cuts you need to so I can like do the final version? But the problem is, is that they don't know what the final version is until they've seen it with a new version of the music. So there's so much back and forth to figure out like what actually works uh, in terms of the pacing and making it feel satisfying. Because there's, um, there's kind of three parts to it. There's the initial takeoff where, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we're still figuring out the flying thing. And then there's the elation moment when they burst through the clouds. And then uh, they end up uh, flying into a storm, and then there's obviously one more shift there. And so, so even though it's one cue on the soundtrack, it's really it's. Um, it's really uh, it's kind of like three different sections and they're all of varying lengths so we we went back and forth on it a lot but yeah hearing um, having Aerie's voice soar at the at the moment that was required is a very is very satisfying yes it's impactful for sure Gareth what else do you want to say the difference between this uh, for, for me personally on the uh, the first game and the second game uh, this score would not exist without the army of people that helped bring it to life. It's it, it's it is the the soloists, the orchestra, the choir, but the engineers, uh, Eric and David and Zach, my orchestra, my orchestration team. On the first game, I did all the orchestration myself, like an idiot. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, but it's partially for budget reasons, but also because I didn't really, I didn't really know what it meant to like score a, a, a full, like a full game. I didn't have any idea of how much work it would be. I, I literally could not have delivered this soundtrack without. The, the myriad of people that like helped me bring it to life uh, and uh, it was just kind of it was kind of cool to 
be able to share in that, but also realize how far one has come because I now trust people to like deliver. But I, I think you know the other the other thing it was like it was my first child or in the blind forest. Yeah. Um, and I, I basically just didn't trust anyone to, to right. foolishly foolishly didn't trust anyone to 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 babysit any aspect of it. Um, and this proved that like uh, you know it was it was just a, it was on, I can honestly say it was a pleasure to be able to hand stuff off to david eric or zach and uh no it would come back you know orchestrated properly and this time i was able to i was able to proofread stuff i couldn't proofread anything on the on the first game because i didn't have time because i was still mm. trying to finish finish the <laughs> orchestration um whereas this time i could actually like take the time to look at the stuff and you know they, those guys are amazing and uh, i didn't really need to correct very much at all um and any corrections i did make were probably personal taste rather than like anything they did wrong yeah um and uh yeah and so it meant even though it was chaos um getting all of this stuff organized it just meant that when i was at when i was actually in the moment i was i'm always scared like the five minutes before the session starts (laughs) Uh, but then it but then it starts and i'm like oh everything's gonna be fine Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when it's this amount of music, um, it you know there's there's so many things that can go wrong, but um, thanks to like the the entire like production team on the music side, it's it's funny you're one person for so long. And then when it gets to recording, it becomes the biggest department in the entire game. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I, I mean, I think if you include all the support staff at the studio, it probably employed, you know, 140 to 150 people Jeez. in total. Um, you know, if you, if, you know, if you include if you include catering and stuff like that, because that stuff all matters. You need yep. to feed people. Uh, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I truly understood. I have understood it more in the past few years, but like I think this, I feel like this score is a, a closing of a chapter for me because I now feel like I'm grown fully as a composer. I understand what it is to like deliver a score um, that was recorded with you know the best orchestra in one of the best studios. Um, you know, people seem to like the music, so that's good. Yeah, I, I understand the full extent what it like what it is to deliver a score on this level, and it just amazes me like the composers who are doing this three or four times a year. Like, yeah, I, I did like, and and they would not be able to do it without like all of the. It, it's just impossible. It would like I I I saw how much orchestration work David and Eric did. I mean, I mean, it's thousands of pages. And uh, it would just be physically impossible to do that all by yourself unless yep. you had like a year. Right, um, right. And uh, yeah, uh, so so really I just want to pay tribute to like literally everyone who helped me bring this score to life because there's, there's, there's so many people, if you remove them from the process, there's literally things that don't exist.
this is just one of those scores people need to hear whether they're going to play the game or not. Sit down, maybe not for three hours straight, but, you know, <laughs> whatever works for you to just work through this and hear what's possible in a game because this is a... Uh, just absolutely phenomenal work and um, so enjoyable to listen to just uh, top to bottom. And um, I'm just, I'm glad to know you and I'm glad you're writing music, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when I, when I, when I put together, when I looked at the soundtrack, I'm like 60 tracks. I mean, no one's going to listen to 60 tracks and what maybe a few people will, but cause, cause the, cause the original soundtrack is 90 minutes and it's doable kind of like in a single listen, but I'm yeah. like, this game's just bigger and I'm not I like, I've made cuts for this soundtrack and, and like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I can't make any more. The most painful thing I've done actually is cutting this soundtrack down to vinyl. So this is 183 oh. minutes, but for vinyl, it's 20 minutes per side, and we've got two discs. Uh, so I had to cut it down to 80 minutes, wow. which, yeah. So it's it's kind of like a, the vinyl is really a composer's choice that kind of reflects the general outline of the story. But like, man, yeah. there were some brutal cuts. Um, yeah, thank you for thank you for your kind words, and I'm I'm glad you uh, enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's uh I'm I'm oried out right now. <laughs> I bet like, you are. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have to admit I am enjoying uh also watching people play the game on uh on Twitch. Like that that is a resource that never gets old for a composer or literally sure. anyone working on a game. It's just it's just so much fun to see people um reacting and enjoying and hopefully crying where you want them to cry um, or yeah. uh, or uh, getting frustrated where you think they'll get frustrated uh, by, by playing the game but uh, yeah there's been there's been plenty of tears um, especially with uh, how we end the game which mm-hmm. uh, is happy or sad depending on how you want to interpret it all right uh, I'll leave it at that <laughs> well Gareth thank you so much for chatting with me today it's always good to hear your voice and I'm um, glad you're safe and I'm um, glad you wrote this music and I look forward to talking to you about the next one. Likewise. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for listening to episode 130 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Gareth on his website, which is gareth-coker.net. And you can find a full playlist at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. <laughs>